0: I went from doing grilled cheese in a restaurant in Philly to doing grilled cheese on a food truck in Jersey.
1: Fancy. Which one pays better? The food truck. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Gotta love that. And less tolls. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. That was a good one. You caught that. I did. That was in there. <laughs> I'll see if that makes it to the intro sure or not. Welcome back to Natural 19, the D&D podcast that isn't perfect, but it's still pretty good. I am here today with Scott Foreman. Hi, Scott. Hi, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Pretty good. All right, all right. Uh, So, uh, before we get into everything else, I've already said the word, uh, like, 47 times. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm not going to edit out all of them, but I edit out a lot of them, and it makes me want to (laughs) die. So before we get into into my personal existential crises that high-level campaigning is, so let's talk quick, quickly about how we met. Because we've known each other for a long
0: time. Yeah, uh, we met at uh, Hebrew school, I Hebrew guess, the school. first time we yes. met each other,
1: yeah? Uh, we're both, we were both Jewish. Are you still Jewish practicing?
0: Modernly, yes. I stream my Shabbat services over the internet. <laughs>
1: that is the most modern Jewish thing I've ever heard. It's actually amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, we both grew up Jewish, and we... Uh, Met in Hebrew school, and we didn't play D&D together until much later than that.
0: No, yeah, no. uh, Wasn't a factor in our friendship growing up at all. No.
1: Um, So we we didn't play, I would say, until, well, what was it, a few years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, And we're both now far beyond Hebrew school. When did you start playing D&D yourself?
0: I started playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons when I got a job at the Reading Terminal Market and my boss literally introduced one of my co-workers
1: as, this is Alex. He's the local dungeon master. <laughs> I mean, there is, though, right? Like, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. Like, the local dungeon master is a thing. That's, Absolutely. I'm. Have you ever had the situation, and uh, you do more dungeon mastering now, right? Yes. So, have you ever had the situation where, like, your friend group knows you as that? So, like, whenever they find, like, a novelty D&D thing at a toy store, they're like, ooh, Scott would like this. I get the
0: pictures uh-huh. uh, or, or any D&D-related meme Instantly gets Oh, absolutely. Sent to me yeah, always tagged.
1: Chat. Um, my uh, sister just the other day sent me a link to a D&D Kickstarter for like this. It's called Dungeon Craft. Um, Is that
0: the terrain thing?
1: Yeah, it's where they have like. um... My brother also sent me well, a plug four, to that. There's four different terrain ones. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, see, she sent me this plug 10 minutes after I backed it. <laughs> so, so this kind of thing happens. I'm also like big into the gym, so like there were two I got on two separate occasions from two separate people at like the D twelve that you roll and it gives you a bunch of different workouts you can do. So two people got the like gym and D and D are what I'm known for. So people that's what get you me get. that's like the one that combines the two, so they give me everyone gives me that. I will I am collecting them. <laughs> okay, um anyway, so that's how we met. That's how we played and we've only played D and D together once, and yes. I, it's one of the rare occasions I've been a player. I played a character I very much loved, which uh, the the problem with that character in that group is he fit in too well because <laughs> I made this character as a misfit. His name is Isn't, uh, or rather he goes by the name Isn't. Is, um, is there is there a player is there a player character that isn't a misfit? That well that's my problem with <laughs> with creating him is I I plan on him being kind of the social outcast of the group who was just like you know he was crazy he grew up inside the belly of a monster and he always heard the heartbeat of this monster and so when but when he got all like violent for no reason everyone else was like yeah all right. cool. Was that the Nilbog little one shot I did? Okay, Um, that was was fun. I have since used Nilbogs uh, in my campaigns a few times now. They're a lot of fun. I actually have a nice little Nilbog figure, which is super cool. Yeah, I've got so many miniatures. If you turn your head to the left and right, you'll see. Oh, they are all all over the place. Uh, a lot of them are there. Uh, hey. I dig I, the beholder. This is really good for, yeah, no, this is really good for podcast and yes. audio medium where me pointing different parts of my Audio room. friendly. Audio perfect, friendly. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So yeah, See, that that was a fun time. I and mean, we only get to play t- together the once, then our paths kind of uh, separated again. And honestly, it's nice to have you on because most of my guests are people I play with constantly and okay. repeatedly. So it's nice to have someone who uh, we can actually like tell stories that we haven't, we don't both know already. I uh,
0: saw your call to action because uh, Adam Moldover shared it with me, mm-hmm. and that's I saw that, and I, uh,
1: I was like, oh, I might as well put in a reply there, I hit be- the mold. Because again, you're that guy, that's the guy, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you're the D&D guy in your friend crew. So today, we are going to be talking about uh, the differences between high-level and low-level campaigning, uh, and I'm, I've made it no secret of mine that I... I'm not a huge fan of the late game D&D combat system, but I would love to kind of swap some stories of both hypothetical and things that have actually happened. What's the highest level party you've had in one of your campaigns?
0: Uh, As a DM, Mm -hmm. in 5th edition, 16th.
1: Okay, and you had to ask that question. So what's the highest level player you've ever been in a campaign?
0: I've been an 18th level wizard.
1: Ooh, tell me all about, (laughs) literally wizard. We couldn't have gotten any better. Tell me all about it.
0: Uh, uh, This uh, wizard was named Timus. Okay. Uh, it was in uh, a friend of mine's cam- lo- really long running campaign uh, who- in a world where there were no dwarves, but he grew up in a town that dwarves where they last were. So he was obsessed with them. Okay. And obsessed with uh, what can make an entire race vanish like that. Huh. All right. Um, which spurred him into collecting stronger and stronger, powerful magical artifacts. Because if he had the powerful magic items, he's not going to use them for evil. I can't trust anybody else with that. Of course, of course. So he just amassed this small treasure hoard of ridiculous OP doomsday weapons that he just kept it in a bag of holding on his pocket. Of course. There was no one else could tr- he could and trust. And no with one that. else can
1: get them out unless they know they're there. Right, exactly. Perfect. So uh, wizards at 18th level, or technically 17th, but 18th as well, have 9th level spells, the most powerful spells in yes. the game, or at least the most powerful that are in the rule book. What's the most absurd thing you ever did with that power? And it's okay if there's nothing too outlandish.
0: Nothing, nothing really got created. So at that point, uh, at that level, we had uh, gone and done other one shots with lower uh, level characters, and he almost at that point graduated as more of an NPC character that uh, that gave out missions. I didn't really get okay. to, I didn't get to play too much huh. with those with that high level wizard. Um, Interesting. Uh, but he has been made uh, recurring appearances in that campaign as a as a character.
1: Gotcha. So well then let's talk more generally then, as, especially as Dungeon Masters now. So I've already expressed my dislike towards combat at high levels, um, but what, let's talk, what are the pros and cons of a high-level campaign?
0: I mean, empowerment for players. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to, 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 to wield the, of not quite gods, but damn near close. Yeah. Uh, To have that sort of might at your fingertips is a lot of fun, especially for more experienced players, to get to use the spells and the class features that they never get to use. Right. It's
1: the kind of stuff they read forward to and go, oh, I can't wait to do this at 20th level, and then they never do because the campaign doesn't go that way. Right.
0: I can't wait to be a flying spellcasting bear.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is very real. Um, (laughs) So then then the question is, how do you balance those two? Because I think that's a very good pro is it does... And actually, uh, while we're on pros, let me before we say how do we balance, is um, another thing I like about high level campaigning is the stakes are higher. And especially if you start from nothing. If you start right. from level one, you build your way up there. And you start it, and you remember, hey, we were fighting goblins at one time and it was great. And a rock almost killed me. And now it's like, well, if we don't do this, the gods are going to destroy the world. Like, it adds a lot to it. Right. So there are good elements of high level campaigning. Uh, and I've run, I think, up to 19th level in one of my campaigns before. So how do you balance that? Because the combat can be excruciating at high levels. Because there's so much. A monk could be making seven attack rolls in one right. turn. Uh, a wizard could be casting two spells. Uh, a, fighter could you... a fighter could theoretically get ten attacks in one turn if they build it right. How do you make it so it's fun and empowering for the players without being boring and dreadfully long when it gets into combat scenarios? Um... <laughs> it's a challenging question.
0: I mean, at, once you get to that level of player, it it, 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 it changes the game. It, it's no longer how do I overcome this encounter. It's you need to make the um, the difficulty I find more in the choices. It's yes. not how do I kill that creature. Yes. It's which creature do I kill. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. You hit the nail directly on the head that is absolutely i mean i think that's how most D should be except for like the first session where you just point them at something and watch them kill it right but i've even done this in very early sessions in like first or second session i will give my players a quest and it'll be one of those like very typical like hey go kill this person and oh no the person we killed is actually the good guy and right. i'm gonna go kill the quest giver and it teaches them very early on that they can't trust everyone and it also teaches people how to use their insight checks and you
0: can't trust the dm
1: no you cannot um Oh my god, I was just saying, like, um, I have a, a group of players that's been getting really into the role-playing aspect. I think all insight checks, and for that matter, perception and investigation checks, should be rolled in secret by the DM. Because if you know what role you got, and you, if you're like, I'm going to mm. check for traps, and you roll a three, does someone else want to check for traps? I get it all the time. Right.
0: So I have, of my two gamer groups, I have a uh, role-play heavy group, and a uh, the mod group is, it, it's a game to beat. Right. Um, the The game to beat, you'll definitely get the... Uh, I I make a uh, a perception check. Uh, Nine. I also make a perception check. Yeah, Yeah, you do. Sure you did. We were doing it the whole time. Uh Everybody knows. Uh, But the role-playing group is very much like, I look around. I see nothing. They say that before even I say, you don't see anything. They're just like, I appreciate that in that
1: group. (laughs) Uh I I have some groups that there was, uh, I had a group going through the uh, Feywild and they were all making perception checks one after the other as they were walking through this, like, grassy field. Where, ironically, you would meet the no-bog. Um, <laughs> but the, it was very tall, fair-wild grass. So the first person made the perception check, and they rolled low. And I'm like, all right, uh, you see waist-high grass. It's about this high. And I put my hand, <laughs> like, next to the table. Uh, and it's soft, and it kind of moves like this whenever you run your hand through it. And then the next person did, and they all rolled higher or lower, like various things. To one point, one person got a natural twenty, and I give the exact same description for all of them because there was nothing to find. But they were by the end of it just appreciated that description. So now, like whenever I mention grass, like is it waist high? No, it is not waist high.
0: My uh, favorite incident <laughs> of that is when describing a perception check. I said, "You hear the sound of bare feet, meaning feet without boots." Right. They all started looking around for a bear.
1: Of course, uh, as you do, as you do. I mean, Sir Barrington could be anywhere. <laughs>
0: yes, of course.
1: Okay, so yeah, so making, uh, making the difficulty be about choices rather than being about how, how good of a thing you can fight a thing is definitely good. But at the end of the day, I find players do want that climactic final battle. Right. And I think a great example of someone who handled this very well is Matt Mercer. Uh, spoiler alert for the end of the first campaign if you haven't seen it. So uh, they had to fight Vecna, a literal demigod ascended to actual god. And how they, how he did it... Now, there are seven players in the group, and it helps when all the players are very engaged. And their turns are moving pretty quickly, but there's only so quickly you can move it. But how he did it was he didn't make it a hit point sync. Which I feel like a lot of it, like players ask all the time. Oh, we're gonna fight the Tarasque. Don't fight the Tarasque. Tarasque oh, is a boring fight. It's such a boring fight. The Tarasque has no interesting abilities. He's just hard to damage and has a lot of health.
0: Doesn't even regen anymore.
1: Uh, no, he does not regen. Uh, the only thing that makes him interesting is if you didn't know about it, because right. if you didn't know about it, you would learn very quickly that your spells bounce off him and things like that. And then he swallows you, and you. But you either either you beat him or you don't. Right. The Vecna fight was interesting because they couldn't kill him. Was, he was gone. You can't kill him. They can bring him to zero hit points, at which point he pops back up to a higher hit point level. And they had these three items. They had to basically stick to him to banish him to the other planes. So it wasn't so much about hurting him. It was about surviving the fight for long enough to succeed. And that made it interesting. So it was still high-level, interesting campaign. We can use all your very cool high-level spells without needing the 400 damage.
0: So for, for, for high-level level baddies, um, for those big fights, it's definitely best to have an alternative objective it's not okay. just it's just not killing the bad guy you also need to do this thing huh okay um like you don't fight cthulhu you keep cthulhu from waking right the moment you give him a stat block you've lost the point of him
1: absolutely um
0: yeah. for example uh i have my one players running through um realm jumping campaign okay starting at Love the prime material and they 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 just sort of work their way out through the Elemental because, Yeah. So it, well, that is currently where they are. They have to get one MacGuffin from each Elemental plane, sure, yeah. so they can then move on to the Astral Sea.
1: I literally have a campaign. It's, I call it the Destroyer campaign. It's the, the same thing. Right.
0: So what I did for, like, the final boss of each one is, is it's become a, a repeated um, thing. Uh, the, the boss is whatever the Elder Elemental is of that plane is. Okay. But the goal isn't to fight them. The goal is to um, the Mag- get the MacGuffin, in this case, the, uh, uh, some sort of a magic key to, sure. g- to the other end of this field. When they have a team, the key, the elder elemental appears at the gate and a crowd in a stadium appear. It's football. And it's basically get the key to the other side. Are you playing football with it's... your d <laughs> A little bit. Uh,
1: <laughs> Fantasy football um, taken to a whole so new So they actually
0: did their um, air elemental key fight last night. Okay. Uh, so they fought the, uh, the Elder Tempest, which mm-hmm. is this Chinese dragon-style snake serpent made out of lightning and clouds and storms. Awesome. And also on play was a uh, couple of tornadoes, and the, the, the local ruler uh, said he saw your last fight and found your teleporting uh, unsportsmanlike, so no teleporting this time. <laughs> no misty step, no dimension door. Uh, so they had to do it all on foot, while wind is constantly pushing them away from the gate. And what happened one time is one big gust of wind blew a character into a tornado. Roll for random direction. Spat out of that one into another tornado. Spat out. Hey, look! Right in front of the gate. Nice. So even though they were my rolls, they ended up helping the player get hey, right that's to the gate
1: uh, and created a fun pinball image in everybody's head. That's and listen at the end of the day, if everyone leaves the fight feeling good, that's right. all that matters. Right. Like I don't care about anything else. So, question. I don't know how much I've talked about this. I know I uh, I definitely always want death to have consequences. But at high levels, when death is effectively meaningless... A revolving door. How do you deal with that? Or do you not? Do you just let it happen? Uh,
0: you need to keep permanent death a threat. I mean, once you're catching 9-level, once you have wish, even disintegrate sort of loses its teeth a mm-hmm. little bit. But there's, there's things like in the... Um, not tomb of horrors. The campaign, that came, the module, like recently.
1: Um, uh, no. No, um, no. It was
0: like, it's an uh, tomb of annihilation. Tomb of there we go. Yeah. Tomb of annihilation nope. has a a overarching like there's no coming back. The Sarac has cast something that when you die there's there's you stay dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the that was the adventure hook for the the group I had played in. Was you're the one of the the, the higher levels of people around. Uh, we're going to send you down there to chill to stop what's happening because all our high-level adventurers who we usually rely on aren't coming back like they usually do. Mm, I see. So they're yeah. afraid to go down there.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the concept of life and death in D&D is so weird because we live in a world where death is permanent always, always. because that's just how the, our world is. Right. And so the, the fantasy of bringing people back to life is always kind of very like, oh, I bring this person back to life. So when it, you put those options in front of you with the characters you've built for a very long time, it does get kind of existential. Um, so death is... I always have the threat of permanent death. I use, again, Matt Mercy's rules, which is if someone dies, there's a chance a resurrection spell will work. You have to roll for it. If that roll fails, you need to try a higher level resurrection spell up to the point where if you hit the full true resurrection and that fails, that's it. They're done. But the chances of that happening are still very low, but at least the threat is there. So we had an NPC traveling with the group whose mother had died. Not like glorious adventure death, just like they got sick and died when the kid was a child. Okay, And... So they, but they were a NBC, and they were leveling up with the rest of the party, and then they hit like level, I think it was, uh, fifteen when they got the resurrection spell, and they're just like, "So, I can bring my mom back," and they had to like debate if that was an okay right. thing to do, like she's been dead for decades now, right? Uh, and that's a thing that I can do, like bring her back, which is right. Been... So it was... that
0: that that at that
1: level, it doesn't have the an exception of natural death. Site, like. Yeah, a, no. It just says within two hundred years. Geez. And <laughs> also, it wasn't natural. It was it was a disease. Right. Okay. So uh, something I found very interesting was um. So raise dead, the fifth level spell, which is pre- accessible halfway through a high level campaign. Like that's the ninth level, you can cast that. So even mid mid game, you can right. resurrect someone who's been dead for I think it's uh ten days. Game. It's not uh, too long. But right.
0: I think with that one, you don't you still need? I think you need an intact body still. Yes, but, but if you have not if you repos- on the druid
1: side of that, there's reincarnation so Ray's Dead clarifies if they died of old age they're done reincarnation makes them a new body right so you could literally take someone who had died of old age reincarnate them as something else and they're still the same person just in a different body
0: and if you're lucky they're not a goblin or a kobold
1: yeah or if you're lucky they are are you kidding me Let's <laughs> real I love goblins and kobolds grandma kobold <laughs> Oh, great. Um, so, and magic is wild. Magic is super wild. Magic is the main thing I did want to talk about. Um,
0: and there's the biggest consequence of high level. Oh,
1: absolutely. Because it's one thing, again, I think we, we ought to kind of discuss what you do to kind of deal with the high level combat. And that's really right. all it comes down to with like fighters and monks. So, like, yeah, I'm aware that your monk could punch me around the curvature of the earth. But as long as the fight isn't about punching someone around the curvature of the earth, then that problem's solved. Right. Magic. Is wild. Right. Now, we've discussed on this Wish. We've discussed Wish on this podcast before. Uh, I know we've done that. I know we've talked about, like, resurrection just now even – Uh, But the specific spell I really would love to discuss with you, and this is going to be in place of our D&D advice segment, because, hey guys, email your questions. We still don't have any of them, so if you're, like, one of our two listeners and you want a question answered, I guarantee you will get to it. Uh, Go ahead and email us at natural19podcast.gmail.com. That is natural19podcast.gmail.com. Okay. I want to talk about True Polymorph, which is, in my mind, more so than wish, the most terrifying spell in the game. So, do you know True Polymorph? Uh, yes. Yes. Do you you want to explain it, or should I? Uh,
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. It is
1: is the turn into anything spell. Turn anyone or anything into anyone or anything, basically, yes.
0: Including yourself.
1: Yes. Now, there are restrictions to this, uh, and the restrictions are as follows. If you're turning something or someone into someone, into a creature, it can be any monster, any creature, challenge rating 9 or lower. Challenge rating, for those who don't know, is just a way to kind of gauge how strong a thing is. Some things that are lower than challenge rating 9... Young dragons. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, ghosts. Land sharks. Tyrannis- a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Right. Like, challenge nine or lower. If you true polymorph someone into a ghost, have you murdered them? I'm glad you brought that up because we are going to get into even more weird existential <laughs> stuff. So true polymorph only lasts for an hour, right? Wrong. Okay. It's what we call a concentration spell. For those who don't know, concentration means you have to focus on it the whole time. If you lose concentration, it drops. I could turn Scott here into a chair. And if I hold the concentration for 30 minutes and let it go, he turns back into Scott with no memory of ever being a chair. And polymorph, the lower level version of the spell, says that when the spell ends, the spell ends when you run out of concentration, run out of time, or the target drops to zero hit points when they pop back form. In which case, they turn back into their old form. True Polymorph has the same exceptions until you hold concentration for the full hour, at which point it becomes permanent. I could turn someone into a chair forever. And someone could go, oh, well, that's okay, I'll just break the chair. It doesn't matter. It's permanent now. You just broke a chair. That's my chair. (laughs) The only way to undo it is to dispel the magic, which, with a high-level spell like that, is difficult. Possible, but difficult. So... If you turn someone into a ghost, do you murder them? Uh, I would say yes. (laughs) If you turn someone into a chair, do you murder them? Also Also yes. yes. Unless you
0: then animate object on them, and then you get a Beauty and the Beast situation going. Oh my
1: god. Uh, But only temporarily. Animate object isn't forever. Now, Now what you could do... Isn't there a permanency spell or something of that? Uh, I don't know if there's anything to make anime objects permanent, but okay. I... But I know I,
0: there, there was a, th- uh, a mechanic in three 3.5 to make any spell permanent.
1: Now, what you could do is utilize the same mechanic. Now, there's no mechanics in the book for creating golems, but you have to imagine it's a possible thing. So you could turn a person into an empty shell of a golem and then find a way to put another soul into that and effectively create new life. But more terrifying than that, and the reason I brought this up in the first place, is you can turn an object into a creature with true polymorph. And that creature has sentience. It is friendly towards you for the first hour. And if you f- maintain concentration depending on how you treated it in the first hour, it may still be friendly to you afterwards. I could turn a chair into a person. And then concentrate for an hour. And then there's just a person in the world, which I made with my magic. That's really horrifying for a lot of you can, reasons.
0: You can you can generate uh, an army an hour at a time, one soldier at a time.
1: Yeah. Or- well, it has to be a day at a time because you can only cast it once a day. Ah. But even so, one soldier at a time... for. Forget an army, like, an army of soldiers, an army of... You can create young dragons that you're releasing into the world. You can create eh, right. any ninth level or lower creature that you are just releasing into the world. Because I decided that one day that I want this uh, dinner plate to become, like you said, like the whole, like, animate to make it real. Forget animating it. I'm going to true Polymorph this dinner plate. Into a grung, a horrifying poisonous Aww. frog thing. And I can just make grungs go where are all these things coming from? I don't care. Like it doesn't <laughs> ma- I'm creating tensions. And it's you don't think too much about it when you're like, I turn my I turn this um, stuffed animal into a cat, because that's fun and it's cute. You don't think much about it, it's just it's a cat. But as soon as you give that like human level intelligence, it becomes really scary. Yeah. Because now you've created a person. A, a person is are they your son are they your, like how are they related to you <laughs> <laughs> uh, magically so, adopted everyone has parents well except for Jimmy Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy's used a, to be a chair Jimmy used to be a chair <laughs> uh I love the concept of a of an enemy or even not an enemy just like an NPC who is a very powerful wizard with his lovely mansion with lots of lovely furniture that are all just his enemies from <laughs> just it <laughs> the gives the
0: the names Ikea gives their furniture a dark tone <laughs> Turned Billy the bookcase into
1: an actual Billy the person. Head, head, cannon is that Ikea is run by powerful wizards. All of their, all of their affordable but sub-assembly required furniture were multiple people turn into different pieces of furniture. Oh, God. Uh, you, the chair you were sitting on is six people. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's, it's, they never explain it. They don't say, like... Where the soul, come. they don't say like that. It would be so easy to add a line of context of like this spirit comes from like the Feyw- a fairy in the Feywild or something like that, or right. like a wisp. Like there's so many ways they could. Where explain are those the souls way. coming from? Are they coming from the Shadowfell, from the fae And it's it's cool because you can leave it the DM. So that can be like as right. a dungeon master. If a player were to start abusing that, I would absolutely make that a thing. Like I would have. You could have like an assassin from another realm come because someone's stealing souls from their realm and like come to try to like pick them off.
0: Ugh. There's
1: there's so yes. many things you could do. Um, I don't know. I just I've been thinking about true polymorph a lot recently.
0: <laughs> have you uh, on the on the top of, of high level adventuring? Yeah. Heard, I forget where where I originally heard it. It might have been WebDM or sure something sure. Um, but the, the, the way you play high level games is, uh, divine scry, teleport fry, divine the problem, yeah. find okay. the problem, go there, blow them up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. That is a very quick way to do it. Yes.
0: Unless, uh, and, 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 and to steal sort of their joke again, unless the bad guy, of course, painted their lair in Gorgon's blood. Cause it, what, what evil lair doesn't have Gorgon's blood painted on the
1: wall to prevent teleportation. Right. And there's plenty of ways you can. that's the thing there's plenty of ways to stop teleportation to stop scrying there's plenty of ways to do that and at that point you have to be careful with the balance. You then your player is going. Well, why do we even have these powers? Right. So you you can't make them useless. Give,
0: yeah. Give them all these magical things. And then uh, well, and 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 to like that's that's why I did it. Sort with that other fight the other the other day. When I was like, nope, no teleporting this time.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's okay now and then. But I like what you said earlier because I think you're right. You can't divine scry teleport fry if the dilemma is not a power one. It is a moral one. Because right. Moral decisions never get easier. No. In fact, they only get harder. Uh, because the more power you have, the more you should have control over that. So the more kind of rest in your shoulders for that, uh, which I think is a good way to handle that. So I guess the, the moral of the story is if you're doing high-level adventuring, make sure the challenge is not in how hard you can hit, but what needs to be hitting. Right. <laughs> cool. Do you have any other stories you wanted to share?
0: On the sort of high-level campaigning, mm-hmm. um, it, it gets uh, to the point where your players should really start looking at the concept of hiring other adventurers. Okay. Getting a hirelings, a uh, much bigger thing in earlier editions of D anD D, not mm-hmm. so much uh, in, in recent ones. But like, it, like I said, it turns into almost a different game. It turns into like a management game, which is still fun mm-hmm. uh, for the for the, the kind of player who wants oh, to yeah. do that. Um, yeah, that's when you get you know your stronghold, your wizard's tower, sure. your castle.
1: I have a group that did that uh, actually, or they're in the process of doing that. Um, they they call it uh, Fate's Contingency. Uh, and that's their, kind of like their thing is they're trying to like, in case all else fails, their group is here to save the day kind of a thing. And they, they had an entire three-hour session that was just interviewing NBCs for their business. <laughs> uh, and they had a lot of fun with it. Anyway, yeah, so that's uh, lots of fun stuff. But I think we're now at the point where I think we've discussed high-level campaigning a lot. I want to do some low-level campaigning. You want to play some D&D? Absolutely. All right. So we are going to pick up the journey of Fizzle. Uh, Fizzle is a ha- half dragonborn, half dwarf. Okay. He is a bard, and he's currently trying to escape some sort of research facility. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, after having defeated the weird slime monster in the showers, you and Nivea have both cleaned up. You have gotten a short rest, we'll say, which uh, I'll let you use to kind of go back to maximum hit points, which is now higher, because congratulations, you've leveled up to 2 Woo-hoo! Uh, For those who are just joining us, we are trying to escape a weird facility. There's uh, a science guy, sort of like Bill Nye. (laughs) That's his canon name. Um, Bill Nye is the guy behind the door. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. There's a weird voice behind the door who seems to be trying to purify uh, some sort of virus thing which he believed you had. Since you seem to be immune to it, uh, he said that's totally fine. You go down, you decontaminate yourself in the showers, and you come back up, and he will let you out. So you and Nivea are finishing your long rest and are probably about to head back out. Past, I want to say, like, Gorp or Gorm or something like that. Um, Some other person who you... Swore you'd let out. Uh, and as you may recall, uh, Fizzle has a different personality and usually different character voice every single time. So don't worry about living up to anyone else's vision of him. This is just your vision of Fizzle now. So uh, after this short rest, Nivia has actually fallen asleep in the corner. She seems, again, not too well off. She's still not eaten. She seems pretty sickly. So, But you are still awake. Nivia is asleep. What do you do? Uh, I
0: go over to give Nivia a little shake. Let her know, it's time to get up and get going.
1: She kind of wakes up a, a bit frantic. and Right. Come on, let's go. Okay. She slowly gets to her feet, uh, wobbling as she does so. You can tell she's definitely very exhausted. She's lagging behind you as you move, even with your stubby little dwarf dragonborn legs. We, we don't currently have anything to eat, right? You have, do not have any food, to your knowledge. Okay. Oh, and uh, so another thing, uh, in case you... I don't remember her mentions the last time, but um, Gooby level up as well. Uh, so gooby is a little bit bigger you don't know what that means for gooby um for you what being a bard means uh leveling up aside from having a bit more maximum hit points maximum hit points are up to 15 now uh you learn a new spell rather than picking it now you fizzle never really knew his spells in the first place so next time you want to cast a spell seems legit you now know that oh, okay. spell um and you also have song of rest which is why you're both back to maximum okay. hit points because you might have played some harmonica during this rest as for gooby you don't know what being level two does for him uh, he's a level 2 gooby he's a level 2 gooby he's a little bigger than he was uh, in the earlier fight he seemed to kind of eat the last bit of the slime monster uh, and is now uh, following you guys as well as you go down the corridor you continue making your way and you're getting close to the pit where you distracted a bit of slime that you had to sneak past as you're walking there. Nivia says so do you remember anything from your time before this
0: uh before waking up here yeah no
1: you Ah, bits and pieces. I feel like I was a hatter or something. Maybe I made hats. She shrugs. People like hats. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, You just... She kind of tilts her head. Change. You're talking differently. Is everything okay? Are you okay?
0: Um, <clears throat> I'm fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. Everything's fine.
1: <laughs> All right. You round the corner... Um. With your glowing harmonica and find the slime pit you crossed over to get here. It's not, the pit itself is not harmful. It's uh, kind of a sour liquid, is the best way I could describe it. It's sort of greenish color. But sure enough, in the center, you still see the burbles of what is a slime creature, which you did not dispatch last time because you just snuck past it. Uh,
0: with Nivea last no, time? No, Nivea was not there okay. last time. Uh, I
1: give Nivea sort of a motion assembly. Okay,
0: there's a uh, slime creature in the uh, the room uh, forward, when need okay. to sneak past it. You gotta be as quiet as you can. Sure. Okay. okay. Yep. Right.
1: But Nivea starts to slowly inch into the greenish water and kind of sneer as she does, so... Uh, go ahead and two you make a stealth check. 12 on the die. Uh, 12 on the die, and you have... I think we've agreed to plus 4 stealth. Um, so that is a 16, and Nivea got a uh, 22. So between the two of you, you edge very costly through the water and the slime seems to ignore you as you pass harm, harm, unharmed out the other side.
0: Can I see like ripples going through like, Yeah. from when I'm getting? Are, are are the ripples reaching the other the the slime? It, they are. Okay, and it d- but doesn't seem does not seem bothered. Uh, again, okay. it
1: seems to only be attracted to sound. Okay uh having passed the slime successfully uh with nothing but some cold and wet legs you make your way back up the stairs and out of the dark area to the torchlit corridor you first uh entered out of when you left your confined room uh your room is still there the door kind of left slightly ajar uh there was nothing useful in it except for barrels and boxes of various things um which none of which seemed useful there was one box full of uh flowers for some reason and the door across from that which had a uh gruff a voice which you heard which you said you would get out at some point
0: i, I- give that door a knock you knock mm. hey hey man uh-huh. you ready to go
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, is the door locked on on this the, end?
1: the door is locked yes
0: uh do i have any way any way of picking or forcing this door open?
1: uh the last time you needed to open ha- you've opened handles in two ways so far you've breathed fire all over it okay and you've used gooby I, I, I Gooby melted through the door on Nivia's uh, handle. I motion for, for Gooby to, to do your thing. Uh, Gooby, seemingly rejuvenated after his short rest, uh, happily does his thing. Gooby climbs up the door and sh- melts easily through the handle and drops back down if the door cracks open. Uh, and Nivia goes, now are we sure we can trust this guy? As the door's opening, <laughs> even though he can probably hear that. Uh, a promise is a promise. I promise to get him out. You push the door open, and leaning against the back wall is a dwarven man who kind of looks a little sickly as well. But when he looks up at you, you see there's more to it than just regular sickness. You can see the black veins stretching from his eyes, reminiscent to the one person you actually had to fight in the hallway here, who didn't seem to have a terrible line of control over himself, and just... You alright there, buddy? And he grabs the nearest thing, which is it looks to be like a heavy wooden stick that was he broke off one of the boxes and charges at you. Roll for initiative. Uh, okay, what'd you get? What was I, I wasn't paying much attention, apparently. I got a match <laughs> hey. one. Uh, you still want to believe that he has some saving uh, some worth saving. Nivea goes first, and she is going to take her action to shove you out of the door and say, Look out! And she just shoves you away as this guy comes barreling through the door. He's going to just attack a random one of the two of you. Uh, I'm going to roll your odds. She's evens. He's attacking Nivea, and it's really good. That was an odds-evens roll because it was a natural 20, which would have been bad for her. Uh, so he's going to swing her. Which is much worse. He swings lazily. Uh, that's that's going to be a five to hit. He swings and the wooden board <laughs> cracks against the wall. And that brings it to your turn in the order. I'd, uh, all I have is the harmonica on me, yeah? You have the harmonica. Yes, because Nivea has your dagger. Nivea has the dagger. Um, uh, and there's, there's his room now if you wanted to see if there's anything useful in there. Are there any other bits of wood? Uh, make a quick perception check. Eighteen on the die? Um, You don't see any bits of wood, but sticking out of one of the open barrels, you see what looks to be a frying pan.
0: Oh, I grabbed the frying pan.
1: Uh, You dash into the room, grab the frying pan, come back to the fray. Uh, He's currently distracted with Nivea, so... I, I go... Firing pan at him. Uh, <laughs> Alright, so your strength is not your strong strength. Not suit, proficient with fighting pan. Uh, and you're not, uh, I, I would say it's equivalent of a mace, but still. Uh, you swing and uh, clatter against the wall uselessly. As you uh, attract this thing's attention, it turns to attack you. But before it can, Nivea, now surrounding it, is going to get flanking advantage and take a quick stab at it, which is going to hit, and she gets sneak attack. Ah. Because she is a rogue which is going to be 1d4 and 1d6 plus her dexterity. Uh, so that's going to be uh, 8 points of piercing damage as she drives this dagger into the shoulder of this dwarf. Uh, and that brings it back to the dwarf's turn, who is just going to swing. He's already like mid-swing. He's going to swing the board down at you, Fizzle, which is, he's not doing great, so he swings and you are able to dodge quickly to the side. And it's back to you.
0: Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to sleep, actually.
1: Okay, I like that. So sleep. Uh, you roll, I believe, 5d8, I want to say?
0: Uh, I believe that's correct.
1: And then if that is over his current hit points... He falls asleep. Either. He will fall asleep. So go ahead and roll your 5d8. 22. Uh, between Nivia's stab in the back and that, his hit points are low enough that as you play a quick lullaby on your harmonica, he raises his club to attack again and just uh, poof, collapses asleep to the ground. And Nivia goes... Okay. A promise, huh? <laughs> uh,
0: I said I'd get him out. I didn't say. He got yeah, to well, travel I'm with getting us. him back in. And she kind of <laughs> she
1: nudges the body back into the room with a foot and tries to slam the door shut, but the handle is melted. The it comes creaking open again, and she just goes, "Great."
0: I'm sure he's not going to be a problem again.
1: No. Yeah, I can't imagine this will ever come up again. Oh, let's no. go. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys make your way back to the door where you heard the voice through it. Um, and there is a button next to the door which you pressed, which kind of alerted the person on the other side that you could that you were there. Yep. Yeah, I'm assuming you press it again. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, basically, it's a little buzzer. <laughs> You're back. Did you find the, the showers? Yes, I'll clean now, all disinfected. Fantastic. I just need to do a quick scan to make sure. Uh, let's see. Alright, I'm not getting any readings, uh, so you can come on through. One moment, you hear roughly 13 locks being undone, just like deadbolt, lock, click, click, rattling, chains, like the works, and the door er comes open. On the other side is a uh, fellow a little bit shorter than you. He is a halfling man, he looks to be, with Doc Brown-style white crazy hair, and right. he's... Rough, he stands about two feet, three inches off of the ground, and he wears he wears kind of a blue-like tunic, uh, he wears uh, dark slacks, and he has a white lab coat uh, and some goggles that push his hair crudely out of his face. Uh, he looks up at you, uh, and he looks up at Nivy and goes, you didn't tell me you brought a friend with you. You what- didn't ask? Fair. Well, I didn't pick up any readings from the illness, so... Come on, come on. And he gestures you through and closes the door behind him and starts going through the many, many locks and relocking the door as you get a look around the room. Uh, The room you're in now appears to be a quaint little, like, wooden room, much in a stark contrast to the rest of the very metallic facility. There are a few candles lit around the room providing light. Uh, There are windows looking out. There's actually uh, daylight flooding in right now. Uh, There's a few cabinets. There's uh, some tables. And there's a massive desk massive but also very low to the ground desk covered in papers and notes and bottles and all sorts of other kind of things like that um, there's a door that leads somewhere but it's a wooden door not one of the crazy metal doors right. and he goes well I must say it's uh, encouraging to find someone who is immune to this disease and also his emaciated friend Nivia goes thanks
0: <laughs> speaking of uh, emaciated friend uh, do you have anything uh, to eat
1: uh, yes I believe I could scrape some food together uh, and he goes into one of the cabinets and he pulls out, there's like um, a sack, and he opens it up and starts pulling out some various like fruits and uh, dried meats. And Nivea does not even ask, she just goes, sits at the table, and starts shoveling it down. She just ravenously, Well, all right, you may have been in there for some time. Um, she takes a few bites, slams around the table, grabs him by the scruff of his neck, and goes, Why was I down there? And she goes, Well, okay, calm down, please, calm down. <laughs> Uh, I didn't put you down there. I didn't put anyone down there. I found you all down there. This isn't your place? This is my place. I built this place. The home here, this yep. little cabin. I uh, built it here so I could do research. The facility here has been here since before I was. And you just built your little toasty cabin on top of it? Well, I, it's a good way to make sure nothing goes in or out, and I could do research without being bothered. How long were we down there? Uh, I don't know. I don't open the door very often. The last time I opened the door, I was almost infected. Yeah, you keep keep saying that. Infected. Infected with what? Uh, The thing which made those people attack you. I don't know exactly what it is. Some sort of neurological thing. That is a word you don't understand. Don't worry about it. Uh, It, it, how best to describe this. Imagine if being sick also made you crazy. It's not hard to imagine. Okay, well, there it is. That's it. (laughs) Uh, I can't I can't tell if it's, I feel like it's partially magic, and it's partially something else, but if you're immune to it, a little bit of your blood would be very helpful for my research. You want to stab me? Well, if you want to stab yourself, it would perhaps be a bit more amicable. Uh, and it could help the people down there? It might allow me to find a cure for them, yes. Uh, are the slimes part of the research? Or are they limes? Ah! And he notices Gooby at this point, who is kind of scooting up the table and consuming an apple and also the plate. (laughs) What? No! I've never... What are those? It's Gooby. I... He kind of leans down very close and he pulls out a magic wand and points it at Gooby and he waves it around. He's not infected. In fact, he seems to be made primarily of the disinfectant. That's very useful. These... I explored this facility one time, before any of the doors were open, and I unwittingly let one of you out who was already infected and nearly died. But before I did that, I found the purification, I found the showers, so I how I know my way around, and I found the slime pit, but there was nothing living in it.
0: There is now. Fascinating.
1: I'll have to do further research, but I can't research further until those people are cured. So, I need to figure out a way to cure those people. And I don't suppose I could keep Gooby, could I? I like Gooby. All right, fine. We'll uh, visit, I promise. Okay, good. Uh, you may have some difficulty getting back to civilization from here, if I'm How being perfect. How far honest. are we from civilization? He walks to the door and opens it and gestures outside. Walking up to the door, you and Nivea see you appear to be on a mountainside. Uh, and it's a mountain range for as far as the eyes can see. Uh, there's a town, a small village, not too far from here, probably a day or two's walk, uh, to the east, but that's the last town on the way to society for quite some time. It's rather remote out here.
0: Is is there anything you could lend us to, to, to survive the journey? I could, but
1: I could also use a bit more help. What kind of help? Well, first, a little bit of blood. I, I, I will agree to the blood. Okay, great. A little bit of blood. Uh, and, well, if there is a cure, I suppose I could administer it myself at that point. So I suppose the blood, and then I will find a way to reach out to you if, if I need anything else. Uh, now that it... Have you fully explored the facility down below? Uh, well, I explored the, the sh- all the way up to the showers. I haven't been in every single holding cell because I learned that most of them had people like you. Uh, and You mean you people. I mean, the people <laughs> people like you who are brought here. I can't imagine how long you must have been there if you are still alive. Uh, clearly, you can still get hungry. Nivia, who is still eating <laughs> at this point. She's lay out, laid off him to continue with eating food. Uh, you're still alive, so, but you are hungry. So, there must not have been too long, but this facility seems to have been here for a very long time, which leads me to believe people have been getting switched in and out. Though, for what reasons, I can't comprehend. So, there's another way in? Maybe. If, you, if you'd be willing to explore, you're immune, so you're the most likely candidate to be able to find if there is another way in or out.
0: There, there's a dwarf uh, in one of the cells near the entrance. I promise I'd get him out. Uh, so his cell door is just sort of open right now.
1: You didn't bring him because he was infected, I assume? Yes.
0: <sighs> uh, I uh, gave him a nap.
1: He's pounding on the door. <sighs> Nap's over. <laughs> oh. Good, now I have to deal with the pounding until he keels over. Well, unless we can find a cure quickly, I'm afraid there won't be much for it. Uh, I can't let him out because the infection is rather contagious. So, blood? I, I uh, Do you
0: have something small and sharp?
1: Nivea pricks your arm. Uh, wonderful, and he empties it into a vial. All right, I'll see what I can create with this. The door The kid just keeps pounding the door. Ah, uh, let's see. So if I can figure out a cure, I don't want to open it while he's in there, so you may want to uh, wait here and figure out how to take care of himself. I'm not much of a fighter myself here. I'm, I'm more of a, a man of science myself. Uh, William um, Niron, you, if you will. Uh, we will. The science man.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think we shall uh, um, put him back to sleep, hopefully, and then drag him into what was uh, my
1: uh, chamber. Uh, your chamber, the lock is also broken. Oh. You never found a key for any of these doors. You just melted through them. You've never officially opened one. Uh, okay, that's a, he, but he doesn't know that, so he says, that sounds like a good idea. Do you have uh, restraints of any sight? Uh I mean, I'm very morally restrained, I believe, but otherwise, you uh, know, no. Rope? Uh, yes, Chain? I have some climbing oh. gear that I use to get myself up here. I have some rope. Okay. We can We can
0: tie him up after we have put him to sleep and then hopefully find a secure location and then you can cure him and i get to keep my promise all right wonderful
1: uh so you get to work on that he goes into a pack pulls out some rope throws it to you okay i'll get to work on the cure and we will figure uh figure out what comes next next all right
0: uh i'll head over and uh, attempt another
1: sleep you don't need a roll i'll just say it works again you, okay. you pff, uh as he kind of goes down uh, reluctantly, William, uh, William Niron, uh, unlocks the door for you, which takes the better part of a minute. Is, um, uh, Nivea coming with? Uh, Nivea is kind of watching. She goes, do you need my help?
0: Uh, well, this guy almost, uh, bashed me over the head with a piece of wood earlier without your help.
1: <sighs> well, you saved my life, so I guess you can hold that over my head. She gets up. <laughs> uh, the two of you, uh, drag this body back. Tie it, tie it up. It up. And leave it. And I think that's probably a good place to call okay. today. Uh, it's a nice, long, long mini session we had. So, uh, cool all right yeah all right we're making making friends making progress uh, getting places in dungeons and dragons a game about a science halfling apparently
0: it could be a game about anything that's the
1: point that's the beauty of it all right uh well scott thank you so much for joining us i had a blast having you as a guest I'm uh, blast hopefully here. hopefully you can come back uh, at a future point maybe i'll uh bring you back on to see how that uh tomb of uh, <laughs> uh the, the, our mad the, mages dungeon of the mad mage went uh <sighs> i'm definitely curious to see how that goes down pray in actual me. practical <laughs> campaign oh i will pray for you and your players but uh, other than that, I think we're good. Uh, so, yet again, um, thank you all for listening. If you have anything, any question, or story you'd like to kind of send us or ask us, uh, it is natural19podcast at gmail.com. So, go ahead and hook us up there. Uh, Guarantee we'll get to your question as long as it is appropriate for kids. Um, And otherwise, I think that pretty much covers it. So uh, before I end, something I would do with all of my guests is I ask them a D&D themed question uh, that pertains to usually like D&D in real life. Um, So I guess the question is, if you could visit any place in D&D that you have experienced or been to, where in real life, where would you go? Where would you want to visit? A
0: friend of mine ran a game where there was a uh, strange magical inn called the Broken Sign that just sort of appears where it needs to be. And uh, each of the rooms were perfectly suited to the kind of person you are. Uh, And everything's about a gold. Uh, So I would love to visit the Broken Sign, have a beer, and uh, sleep in whatever perfectly suited room they'd
1: have for me. That's awesome. Well, once again, Scott, thank you so much. This has been Natural 19, and uh, you'll hear from me next time. Peace.